I've chosen a sermon called Overcoming Tough Times Today. It, series just hits today. It's out of the book of James. We're going to go through the book of James with several sermons here. And today's sermon is Overcoming Tough Times. The book was written by James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. That'd be a pretty long shadow to live under, uh, wouldn't it? You know, uh, you know, I have a little you know, I feel bad, my brother, you know, you have those sibling rivalries every now and then. Well, how would it be to say, yes, my brother is God, you know, and, and that's what he had to live in. But he was a humble guy. Think of this. Think of the dynamics relation of this. He accepted his brother as his personal savior, his half-brother, you know. And so, so uh, obviously there's Mary, same mom, but, but Jesus, the immaculate conception, the Holy Spirit, so he's half-brother, but he ends up being a leader in the church after Jesus dies and is resurrected. Not only that, a leader of the council when they're discussing important things between the Jews and Gentiles. We see him leading. So he's a very humble man. And he's the one who wrote this book. God loved him so much that the Holy Spirit came and, and wrote through his hand the inspired word of God that we might have today. And, and I want you to know how committed he was. It's, it's interesting that as we think of maybe a theme that will come up today of of, of persecution here that that he was taken this is how James died he was taken to the top of a building in Jerusalem and they told him to deny Christ or they would throw him off and his response was to look at the crowd and to begin preaching the gospel telling them about Jesus this is what history records not the Bible history says that he started talking about Jesus and declaring the gospel and they threw him off that building to his death. So this is a guy that God loved dearly. He wrote the word to him that was close to Jesus, walked with Jesus, and has the presence of God, the, the understanding of the teachings of Jesus, and was completely committed that brings us this word. And I want to talk to three keys of overcoming tough times that he put in this first passage we're looking at, James 1, 2 through 8. And the first is this. When you come to tough times, focus on the joy to come. That sounds a little weird, but here's what it says. Verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's a strange word in the natural. It feels like God's saying, be happy even though things are bad. But that's not what he's saying. Let's talk about the difference between happiness and joy for a moment. Happiness has the root word, happen that brings it into existence. So something good has to happen for you to be happy. So you can't be happy when something good hasn't happened, right? So it doesn't make any sense, but joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness is dependent on circumstances. Joy is not. So when God says, think of the context, consider it pure joy, the context is that you don't have to have great circumstances to receive his joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit that he gives Christians. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But joy can take place in spite of the circumstances. I think of Jesus who knew that he was going to go to the cross. He came to shed his blood to die. And yet knowing that he would go to the cross and take the nails in his hands and the feet, the spear in his side, the thorns on his head, all this had been prophesied. He knew he's God. He's coming to do this. He's come to shed his blood. Nobody took his life. He gave it. And yet... I think the thing that was hardest for him was knowing that the sins of the world, my sin, your sin, the sin of all mankind before, would rest upon his shoulders. I think that's the thing that he wasn't looking forward to. 
He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane so much, the Bible says he sweat great drops of blood and there's actually a medical condition when there's major stress in, uh, in lives where blood actually comes through uh, the, 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 the person's uh, sweat and so, so, you know, that can even be verified medically. But he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So he's got this focus that he knows, he's, he knows it's going to be hard, but he's headed towards something that will change lives. And here's what it says in Hebrews. It says, for the joy set before him, he despised, uh, he, who for the joy set before him despised the cross and the shame, but, but the joy that was set before him, you know what that was? It's you and me. So in the midst of his trial, he had a joy in front of him of a result that would take place that would be unbelievable. And for us, we can know this about our experiences too, that, that, that the joy can be because we know he's got something ahead that we can't see right now, but he loves us anyway. Christ, with him we can know that we'll eventually have joy because he'll come into the circumstances as we follow and trust him and bring something beautiful out of him, even the tough ones, even if you were raised without a dad. I have a friend who was raised in a terrible situation and you know, you know what? He ended up being an evangelist. And, and it's unbelievable how God reached to young men and young women who didn't have dads through this guy's life. Jesus met him. Jesus fulfilled him. Jesus, Jesus helped him through it, and he was able to help others. But, he, but that joy was set in front of him. It was down the road. He didn't know when he was going through it. And as we, as we go through a trial, we can know that if I just trust God. Now, I want to say that it's not automatic that the good result of God will come. Here's one of the factors that's key. You have to follow and trust him. You have to just say, okay, Lord, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to trust you. And if you don't, then, then, then you're not going to get the very best result. If it's going to be your own strength, your own thoughts, your own way. But, but it's so much better to trust in him. He makes no mistakes. He's all loving. He's got, he's got us in the palm of his hand. Others violate us. Others wound us. Others hurt us. And God can heal our hearts and make us well even if they never do the right thing. You say, well, I need that person to do the right thing to be okay. I'm here to tell you, you do not need that person to do the right thing for you to be okay. You need Jesus. And, and what if that person never does the right thing? Then you can never be okay. God can heal your heart. God can help you. God can give you peace. God can give you comfort. God has a future and a hope for you. God has a plan for your life even when others have done you wrong. Let's talk about perspectives. Go a little different angle here to why hard things happen. I want to be real here and say that, that we, we, have to, we have to know it's true that we bring it on ourselves sometimes. Right? That we make bad decisions, sin, and we hurt ourselves because of it. We went against the truth of God. We went against his love letter to us to show us a way to bless us. We decide we don't want to do it, and we not only feel the consequences of it, but others feel the consequences of it too because of our sin. Consequences, hopefully, even then can lead us to a place which is a decision to trust God. I got hurt over here when I went the wrong way, so because I learned my lesson from getting hurt with my bad choice, I'm not going to go that way anymore. And even that can bring future joy. I learned something bad out of this. I'm going forward, and God's going to help me anyway because he loves me. I was suspended from a Christian college when I was 18 years old for my behavior. I signed on the dotted line about my behavior and what I would do, and I, I broke 
the contract that I signed. I don't think they were actually sin, that it, but, but I signed it, so I lied when I didn't fulfill it, right? And um, not only that, but I lied to the administration when they brought me before them, and, and I had three buddies that said, let's stick to this story, you know, they, they, and I said, it won't work, they, they got us, just tell the truth, I've been in trouble before, and, and let's just take our punishment. And they talked me into to this story, the lie. I went last, all three of them, I must have been better at convincing them, all three of them told the truth, I was the only one who lied to the administration. But I lied, and you know what happened? I got suspended. I'm a person who believes in church discipline, and if someone's doing something that's hurting others or wounding others, that you talk to them, wounding themselves deeply, uh, it's in the Bible, it really is, we won't get into that today, but it church discipline or discipline from Christian leaders changed my life. They suspended me, and because I crossed the line that my parents told me not to cross, that the Bible told me not to cross, that, that, that I told them I wouldn't cross, I crossed that line, and I got hurt, and I hurt others as a result. They suspended me for three weeks, and I had some time to think about it. And here's what I decided. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to follow God. I messed up over there. I hurt myself. I hurt others. God told me about it. My parents told me that's what happened, and I found out it's true. And so I said to God, God, you don't have any grandkids, only kids. I want to follow you from my heart because I want to follow. I sinned, and yet God still met me and loved me and forgave me even though I made those mistakes. I tried to tell him when he called me to preach that I should be disqualified because of my behavior previously. And he said, what do you mean? I don't remember anything you did because I cast your sins in the sea of forgetfulness never to be brought up against you again. And I don't tell them today to bring shame on myself. I'm not proud of it. I tell them today to show the greatness of the grace of God that he forgives. David, the king, the friend of God, sees a woman that he desires, looks longer than he should, Guys, bounce your eyes. Don't look longer than you should anywhere. Turn your head and go. Because if you linger there, the enemy takes hold of those, those things. And he called on Bathsheba and he slept with Bathsheba. Adultery. And then to make matters worse, he ended up killing her husband to hide it. Because she became pregnant and her husband had been at war. He brought, brought him home. And he slept on the door and said, if the soldiers are fighting, I'm not going to go in with my wife. And David's plan, he was trying to cover his tracks. You're not going to be able to cover it. It's going to catch up to you. Be sure your sins will find you out, the Bible says. And yet, he goes to the Lord in Psalm 50, um, 51 and says, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He repents. Renew in me a right spirit. He's sorry for his sin. And you know what happens? God forgives David. If God can forgive me like he did, if he can forgive David, here's the good news. Even if it's our sin and even if we've made mistakes, he loves you so much. If you'll just confess it, he'll restore you. He'll bless you. He'll forgive you and your life can be different. What an amazing God. How wonderful is he. Even with the consequences, he brings blessing to our lives if we turn to him. And then there's another category, the category where we did nothing to make this happen. Sometimes it's our own sin and it's our own problem. But here's another category of problems. And this is the one Christians can really get discouraged about. Because they know if they did something to deserve this. Sometimes you're in a trial that you did not in any way bring upon yourself. And we listen to the voices of, of preachers or 
people who say that if you live for God, everything will be peachy keen and you won't have any problems. What Bible are these people reading? Moses, David, Joseph, Esther, everywhere there's stress and trouble and broken lives and, 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 and trials that they're coming through and God meets them and he helps them. And, and just because you're in the midst of a trial doesn't mean you did something wrong. And you'll, if you're not careful, you'll blame God and say, God, why are you doing this to me? But he wants us to focus towards the future. He tells us that bad things happen to good people. These are the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 5. Look on the screen here, verse 45. He causes, Jesus said this. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Another place, he says, um, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. But, th but he says before that, you will have trouble in this world. So even the best of us will have trouble. Let's look at cancer, for example. Sometimes it's because someone smoked and they were chain smoker and it, it, really, it really gets them in the long haul. Sometimes it just hits somebody who's completely uh, blindsided by it, didn't, didn't do anything necessarily to deserve it. It shows up somehow. That happened to me with cancer about 18 months ago. I had a little something on my, on my lip and it, was, it didn't seem quite right. I went in, they started to check it. And, and they, they determined that it was cancerous. And when they went in, they did this thing called Mohs surgery. And what they do is they just cut the perimeter or parameter and then they, 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 they take it and test it. And, and they don't want to be too invasive. So if it's still testing and it's on the edge, they just take more and it takes 30 minutes to test it. They had to do that seven times in my lip. Cut some out. It was right above here. It ended up being a little bigger than a quarter. I, I had 11 hours of surgery. And I remember laying on the table as they're cutting this. I don't know how bad it was. I wasn't expecting that when I went in that day. But my, my wife's sitting there watching my lips go away. And she's thinking, those are so precious. I love to kiss them. And, and they're going to be gone. And they're not going to be, he's not going to be. And I'm laying there thinking, God, what's the deal here? My lips literally being cut away. And I said to the Lord, Lord, uh, if you want my looks, you can have them. I mean, they're getting worse every, every day anyway. But if you, if there's not a whole lot to give, but if you want them, God, for whatever reason, then you can have them. I, I, you know, there have been times where I've questioned God. I didn't question God on this one. I said, I know he's good. I know he loves me. I think God wants you to know he's good and that he loves you when it's something that you didn't deserve. You can't help it if someone else makes a decision that affects your whole life. Do you know what it takes in marriage? It takes two. Two that are co totally committed to Jesus. Two that are totally committed to one another. And if one won't do it, then the other suffers, but not forever. God will, God will bring love into our lives. God will give us, Jeremiah 29, 11, a future, a hope. And so when bad things happen, we... We, we can't blame ourselves. We can't blame God. We just need to trust God in these things and say, okay, God, I don't get this, but I believe that somewhere, if I trust in you in the future, you're gonna bring me through to a good place, even if others won't go there. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things, we know that in all things, God works for good. He didn't say all things are good. He said that in all things, that includes the bad things, he will work for good. 
you can know he's on your side, that he loves you. He promises you that he'll work through the bad circumstances to bring good to your life and to the lives of others, and you need to remember that, that there's a joy set before you. Trust him. Second thought from this passage, remember that he's gonna make you better through this. This is going to make you better. When something very difficult happens for no good reason, the most spiritually mature thing you could do in that moment is to pause and remember that God says he'll help you and if you lean into him, he'll use this for his good. He'll help you through it. He'll make things better. Here it is in verse three. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When my son Aaron was about 15 months old, many years ago, he developed some sort of cold that moved to his chest and we, we knew that we needed to get him to the doctor so we, we took him in and <clears throat> the doctor did some tests and sure enough they needed to give him a shot. I can't remember what it was but all I remember is they brought out a needle that was the biggest needle I've ever seen in my life. I could see the hole in the end of the needle from across the room. And then he squirts it, like, you know, it's like a little squirt gun. It's like, you're gonna use that to give my 15-year-old baby a shot? You know, that's, that's the way I felt. And he says, uh, yeah, we'll just give him a little shot in his bottom. And he turns him over and, well, well, Aaron sees this guy in this white coat with his big sharp thing. He just starts screaming. And I'm there in the room, you know, and he's kind of looking over me like, don't you see this man is violating me? Stop him, right? I mean, he couldn't talk, but that's what, he was, he was wondering, what are you doing? And then the doctor, because Aaron's just screaming and moving, he can't hold him down. The doctor says, sir, would you help me hold your son down? And I wanted to say, no, I will not. You get paid $200 an hour to hold babies down and give them shots. You give them a shot, but I thought, that won't be helpful. So I walked over, and I found myself applying heavy pressure on my son's back to hold him down. And it alarmed him because he had never felt that kind of pressure from his own dad before. And then the needle went in and boy, was there a scream. And Aaron looked up at me like, you dirty daddy kind of thing. Like, what in the world? You have forsaken me. Where are you? And I found myself saying this. I know it hurts, son, but you gotta trust daddy. It's gonna make it better. This is gonna make it better. You gotta trust daddy. Took him a couple days to warm up to me again after that. You know, aren't, aren't we that way sometimes when we feel pressure and we know God could relieve it at this very moment, our Heavenly Father, but he's saying this to us sometimes, I know it hurts, but trust me, I'm with you. With Aaron's shot, it actually moved this, this trouble out of his body. This, this cold, was, this viral thing was leaving him, but he didn't know that when it was happening. For others of us, it's just something that he's taking and he's applying pressure and, and this is a crazy thought. This is a crazy thought. But if, you, if you, you can extrapolate it from this thought, any person who's ever been used greatly by the Lord has experienced tremendous trials. Every person who's ever been used greatly by the Lord has found themselves under tremendous pressure where God starts to form and shape and build and pour wisdom into them. 
And so I know this is a crazy thought and I, I know that the enemy hits hard and I know there are other reasons that things happen. I know we make it, but sometimes God allows something because he's about to promote you. He's about to take you to a different level because you've been faithful. And you know what I say? Whatever your will is, Lord, for the, your glory to build your kingdom, use my life. I don't want to waste my life and get hurt and be wounded and cause trouble and have this yucky in my life if, it, if it's nothing and it doesn't matter. But if it's for his purposes, okay, Lord, amen. I know that's a heavy and a mature thought there. But you will see that men and women of God that are used greatly in the Bible and in life are those who've been through great trials and they're able to minister in a wonderful way because of the richness that they've learned. This word, um, these two words, mature and complete, it, it says um, in the passage, perseverance must finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The Greek word for those two words, mature and complete, it comes from one word, is teleon. And I love I loved this. And the Greek word teleon, that's translated mature and complete, means, it's the word we get telescope from. So it means looking through and seeing a long view. Can't see it right now, but down the road, look at that. Wow. Who would have, I couldn't even see that before. He's headed somewhere with you. He's got something in mind for you and with you. He has a telescoping view, a long haul view. We have the in the moment view. Think of this. God has a clear view of who he knows you can become. That's a pretty profound thought. He has a clear view of where he's taking you and, and who you're going to be. You think of Bo Stern and the pain she went with with her husband having ALS. She's spoken here twice, and I think we're going to have her again soon, hopefully. Her husband passed, but when you hear her speak, the riches and the depth of wisdom and the doctrine of perseverance in the Bible that very few talk about, it's blessing lives and touching lives everywhere she goes. Now listen, I know there's, there's probably someone out there saying, hey, God heals. Absolutely he heals. But every person in the Bible went through deep trials. That was, that was served by God. I pray for everything to be healed. But there's two sides to faith. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. One, by faith they believed and they saw the miracle. But in the last half of the faith chapter, it says that they were living by faith when they died, that they were sawn in two, that they were martyred and the world was not worthy of them. Hey, that's faith too. You get a martyr's crown. They were commended by faith. Those kids that stood up for Jesus Christ and took a bullet in the head this week for Jesus, have a martyr's crown. No more worry, no more pain. And the blood of those saints is gonna bless our lives. You wait and see what comes out in the media and the stories. It'll take days, weeks, months, years, but we'll hear the stories and God will use them. God uses trial and pain and suffering for his glory to grow us up in some circumstances. Most of us won't have to die for him, but we do need to grow up in him and, and, and step into what he's called us to, step in to his love in the midst of our trial. Romans 5 verse three, not only so, we also rejoice in our sufferings. This is a different scripture with the same emphasis. There's the word rejoice where we got the root word joy, count it all joy. Here's a different scripture, rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope 
does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts. Think of that. Context of a trial in that scripture and God is pouring his love out. He's, built, he's, he's doing something to strengthen us and he's still got us. He, won't, he, he can protect us at some level. When my, when my daughter was sick with Graves' disease, I was asking for God's healing and over and over again what I would hear is, do you trust me? I'm doing something in her. I mean, I prayed a thousand times and a thousand times every time the first thing I heard in my spirit was, do you trust me? See, we want the outward miracle sometimes, but God wants the inward work that can maybe touch, bless, and change others' lives. Think of it this way. You say, I don't, I don't, I don't like this view of God putting pressure on people. Well, how about a marathon racer? They have a trainer usually that will show them a schedule of how to push themselves or they could die out there. So he'll actually give them a schedule to run longer, work harder, lift these weights, do these things, and little by little you're going to five miles, ten miles. Then you're raising your times down from eight minutes to seven minutes and, and you're training, but all the time you're putting more muscle pressure on. You're, you, you burn, you cramp, your, your legs are or your lungs, rather, are burning, and, it's, and you're doing this to yourself on purpose. Why? So that you can have enough sustenance, enough strength to endure. And that's the same thing as perseverance, endurance. And God allows pressure to come so we can withstand the race, but also so that we can bring glory to his name. We can know that a current trial can make us better, and we should take the long view and, and do as the word says. Remember, this is going to make us better. All right, third thought now, last one. Seek his wisdom and expect his help. Don't blame him. That never works out for anyone. As a matter of fact, it talks in one passage I read recently about not once did he sin by blaming God. So evidently blaming God is sin. So I want to encourage you not to go there because he doesn't do anything wrong. He's all loving. He cares about you. He knows where you're at. Don't blame the only one that can really help you. Ask him for his help. He's all powerful, all loving. Seek his wisdom, James 1, 5. If you lack wisdom, and honestly, Job said in his trial, I don't get it. I don't understand. That's okay to say to God. I don't understand. Would you help me see and understand? If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and will be given to him. When he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man, unstable in all his way. So here's the deal. He says, ask and, it, and, it, and I'm gonna give generously the answer. When life is hard, go to God and ask him. This is why we need to be in the Bible every day because his answers are in there for the path that we should go. A, a scripture that you've read over and over again, you may have liked it, you may have seen it in a certain context, but it'll jump out like, to you in, in, in the tri midst of a trial in a way you never saw as the Holy Spirit illuminates a certain part of it to bless your heart, to lift you up, to give you strength to go. Prayer, when we go to Bible and prayer, that's the, the two main ways to get his wisdom. And when we seek him, I was just telling someone this morning, you, 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 you can go into a situation where the circumstances are terrible and you can pray 
and then God will touch you in an amazing way and you can walk out the door. The circumstances haven't changed, but you don't feel the same way anymore. You have strength. You have peace. Why? Because the perspective has been flipped. God is bigger than my problem. Before the prayer, my problem is bigger than God's help, evidently, because he's not helping. After the prayer, God's bigger and God says he'll help and God's with me. He will walk with me. But here's the deal. When God gives you wisdom, and I believe he will eventually, through prayer, the word, and counsel of godly people, when he gives you the wisdom, you need to act on it. That's, that's where the best results are. Not in just God loves me and he'll help me. God leads me and I follow. And when I follow, his blessing flows. We get advice. We don't follow it sometimes. We get the word of the Lord and we, we say, I don't really want to do that. And so we go for a little more pain and a little more heartache. Consequences can teach us, but there's no better teacher than wisdom. <laughs> wisdom, you don't even have to go through the consequences. Follow the path of the Lord and blessing flows. So in the midst of the trial, you've got hardship, ask him and then try to, try to do what he says. Years ago, I was about six years old, seven maybe, and lived in Atama, Iowa. It's an old, old town. And, and there's, the house we lived in was probably 100 years old and, I don't know, two or three stories tall. It was a really scary old house, creaking everywhere. And, and you know, I didn't want to sleep alone in a room. It was, it was just weird. And, and we lived on this big hill where this house was, you know. And, and, and the, down the hill was, was really steep. And I remember I had a very cool bike that I would ride down that hill. It was a Schwinn Harley Handlebar Banana Seat Bike. You remember those? Huh? Some of you? It didn't have any brakes like this, you know, no handbrakes. The brake was down here where you push backwards. Some of these young people never even heard of such a thing. It, well, good for you. And <laughs> so what happened was I would ride my bike every day down that hill, just get cruising and hit that brake and slow down. And everything's cool. And one day my mom says to me, I don't want you to ride your bike down that hill anymore. I want you to walk it down. It's a long hill. I said, Mom, you know how moms are. They get cold, you have to wear a coat, right? And, and I go, Mom, I've been down that hill a hundred times. I have never had the chain come off. She said, you just do what I say. Do you understand me? I go, okay. So I did it for a while, a few days, maybe a week. And then one day I was late for a baseball practice and I looked back and she wasn't there. And I jumped on my little bike and I sped down the hill and then I got about halfway down the hill and I went to hit the brake and it just went and I looked down unbelievably the chain had come off now I'm on for a ride that I wish I wasn't on right I'm doing about 20 I'm thinking I could jump but the ground is hard I'll try to ride this out and so the curbs are like this tall in a Tama because they have these flash rain things that you know it, it comes down we don't see drops this big in in this country you see drops all the time but not this big and they'll have it just like five minutes and and the water will be that deep in the street and the curbs and it just floods through so the curbs are huge and I know and I'm coming to that curb at the bottom of the hill with this alleyway I'm thinking how am I going to navigate this I'm just flying on my little Schwinn banana seat bike and I think I know what I'll do I'll fly off it and I'll pop a wheelie to get over the curb on the other side and unbelievably I timed it right going that fast popped a wheelie and got the front wheel over but I forgot about the back wheel and when the back wheel hit, it threw me, and I flipped and landed chin first on the concrete. And, uh, you know, friends holding up 10 card, you know, to, for the dive. And so when my mom comes to get me, 
And she realizes that I've ridden the bike and a chain and all that stuff. She goes, what do I have to do with you? Yeah, I told you. And I was like, yeah, I know, I know. You're smart, I'm dumb. I get it now, but I didn't, I didn't know it. And, and here, here's the deal. God is so smart. He'd never ask you to do anything that would hurt you. He'd never say anything to wound you, only to bless you and help you. But you have to act on what he gives you. Or you don't get the blessing the same way. And so we want to learn from wisdom and follow rather than consequences. And you know, we can be in the trial and not follow and we get more pain. And we can not follow and get more pain. But he's just hoping that we'll listen and take his hand and he'll lead us the right way. And he'll lead us out the quickest way possible with the best results possible. Psalm 119, I want to read this 71, talking about my bike ride. My suffering was good for me for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. And you know, with, I know that was mom, but with God, hey, how much more does he know? Let's follow and be blessed because if you lack wisdom, he'll give it to you. All you have to do is ask and then you follow and you find the blessing flowing. I want to close with this thought I was reading in the Bible this week um, for my personal devotion time out of our life journals and I, I journaled on this scripture right here. This is one of those that jumped out at me I've read it before, but I never saw it this way before. We've been through some trials in the last couple of years in our family as we worked through some physical things with the cancer that I had. And by the way, I'm, I'm totally healthy, praise the Lord. And, and, but working through some things with my, my daughter, Candace, too. Uh, Candace had what's called an ocular decompression about 18 months ago. And uh, she had Graves' disease, and her eyes were pushing forward. And it was, it was not only causing some emotional pain in her, in her heart and life, but it became bigger than that as it caused um, migraine headaches and double vision, and it became obvious that, that they would have to operate. And the, the surgery is the most painful surgery, um, the most painful eye surgery possible, they told us at KCI Institute. It's called an ocular decompression, and they cut you. Uh, they cut her right here on both eyes, and they, they actually take the eye out of the socket. They take out the fatty tissue in the back, and then they literally, in three places, chisel the eye socket to make more room. They put the eyes back in and, and sew them up. And Candace had one eye done, and then three days later, the other. And on the second one, there were some complications with the vein, that, uh, a, a blood vessel that, that burst. And um, we took her home that night, and it, was, it, it felt like she was dying. We're in her room. Uh, it's very painful for a parent, even when your children are older. That night, I mean, blood would just drip from her eyes, blood and water for a couple days as she was, her eyes were trying to heal. But I watched her mother tenderly watch over her. There's a scripture here. Here's the one I'm talking about in Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. And when I read bandages their wounds, I thought of Karen taking care of Candace that night very first night with all that pain. And I thought of how she had to put ice on the eyes. Every 10 minutes, she had to switch ice so there wouldn't be swelling and damage for 48 hours. And I thought of the way she would dress a wound and then clean it as the way the doctor taught and dress it again. And when I read this, he heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. I had this thought, oh my goodness, the one who bandages your wounds is the one who loves you most. Karen was there tenderly loving. And, and here, here's the deal. If you're going through pain today, he heals the brokenhearted 
and he bandages their wounds. He's there in the room with you. He's watching over you. You're the apple of his eye. He cares about you. That's the God you serve, and that's why you can trust him. 